0: growing up as a kid in western pennsylvania i'd love to listen to the radio and go to ball games with my dad down at the pittsburgh pirates and watching the great players like willie stargill Kent colvey john candelaria and a big right fielder named dave parker we have the biographer of dave parker's book cobra a life of baseball and brotherhood that co-wrote the book with dave parker dave jordan is his name and he joins us to talk about the book in just a moment Hey, this is Darren Hayes. You've probably heard me on the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch. Well, welcome to my journey of learning more about sports history. And we're going to do it by learning about the great athletes and the uniforms that they wore as they both tell a lot about the games that we love and have watched so much throughout most of our lives. These are the chronicles I'm going to share with you on what I've learned through my journey in the Sports Jersey Dispatch. Hello, my friends of sports history. This is Darren Hayes of the Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. Welcome once again to the Pigpen. And welcome to another great episode where we get to talk to an author about a legend in sports. And this time it's uh, the game of baseball, which we are getting ready to hit the season here in full stride. And this is one of my personal favorites of uh, when I was growing up. Uh, We're going to be talking with Dave Jordan, who wrote a book, a biography on Dave Parker, with Dave Parker. Uh we'll bring him in right now. Uh Dave Jordan, welcome to the Pig Pen.
1: Oh, Darren, thanks for having me here. I'm very excited to uh to hang out for a little bit.
0: Yeah, Dave, it's uh, quite an honor to to have you come on here and talk about this. Uh now your book was uh one of the top baseball books of uh twenty twenty one, a finalist in the, the Casey Awards. So that's pretty prestigious. So
1: Yeah, it was very exciting to be to be part of that group and and it, it was interesting that there were a number of books that were part of that that class, I suppose, that um that I helped with uh, not so much the editing, but, you know, reading before they were published and whatnot and offering some guidance. So it was really, it was really a close group of of folks there. So it was nice
0: to see that. Oh, good. So you had, you had relationships with some of the other people that had the books in there too. So yeah, like
1: like Luke Geppelin with our team, Uh, he's a good friend of mine and and it was nice for him to, when he was finishing the book, he's like, what do you think? I was like, what do you mean by, I think you're going to get nominated for a Casey and he did. So, um, so that was nice to see. So I wasn't filling him with some empty ambition. It was actually an amazing book, and, uh, and I was so, so proud of, of his effort there.
0: Now, Dave, how did your uh, relationship with baseball come about? What started your fandom with the sport?
1: Oh, Lord. My father was a Mets fan, and um, he used to take us to Shea Stadium uh, during the early 70s. And, wow. uh, you know, actually in the mid-70s, uh, my first game, um, I remember it was Tom Seaver pitching, he won. Dave Kingman, Sky King, my, my favorite player growing up. Um, he he hit a, a long home run over the left field fence, and um, and that really had me going. And then and uh, later later that that summer, my um, my godfather tried to buy me off as a Red Sox fan. He gave me a Fred Lynn glove, <laughs> and um, so I was kind of a Red Sox fan for a few years. And and my brother, who's you know, it was a bit of a bandwagon jumper once the Yankees uh, rose to prominence in the mid '70s. Uh, so we had some brawls back in the late late 1970s over the Yankees and the Red Sox and whatnot. But um, but I've always been a Mets fan at heart.
0: Okay, well, hey, you picked the right era because it was at the '69 Miracle Mets. Uh, so you're right, right right before that was when yeah. that happened. Uh, nope. Very similar to my fight track with the Pirates. You know, I don't remember I was, I was born in 66. So I don't okay. really quite remember, uh, you know, the Clemente years in that, uh, those early, the early 70 world series, but I definitely remember most of the players from there, including Dave Parker and Willie Stargell and some of the greats that, uh, played in those teams uh, throughout the seventies. So, uh, you know, this is, it this can be a real a joy to to talk about Dave Parker. Now, how did your relationship uh, get to be with Dave Parker that you wrote his biography with him?
1: Well, I had finished a book called uh, "Fastball John" with uh, John DiAcusto, who was a Pirates fireballer in in the nineteen uh, seventies who hurt it hurt his arm, and uh, that that book had had received some acclaim. We had done a a reading at the at the Baseball Hall of Fame, and uh, we were heading home from there. When I received a phone call from a friend of mine who's who, who works with Dave Parker on um, online autographs and um, and he basically said, you know, I'm hearing that the Cobra's is trying to write a book and he's gone through two or three sets of writers and he's not finding the right person. And I told him that you were the guy to write his book. I said, all right. Well, let me give him a call. So I gave him a call and this was probably in August of 2017. And the big man was, was very upfront. He's like, I'm working with someone right now. I have a contractual agreement with them. And I said, all right, well, you know what? I've, I've knocked out a book. I've knocked out a 500-page book. And I know I know what it's going to take to get this done. Godspeed to you. Here's my number. When when you need me, call me. And then what happened was uh, about three, four months later, I found out that um, another baseball player was on his third autobiography. And, and you know I'll just say it here. Ron Guidry was publishing another book. And I know Yankee books sell quite well, and and they're enormously popular. But Ron Guidry was a comparatively vanilla player for one baseball team. There's not a whole lot of drama there other than George Steinbrenner nonsense. And um, I was a little annoyed, and I I hadn't heard anything about Parker's book, which I knew was something, was just explosive. So I reached out to, to the big man, and I was like, Dave, what's going on with your book? Guidry, Guidry's. Not just writing his third book. He's about to publish his third book. And I know you have a better story than he does. He's like, yeah, well, it fell by the wayside, this, that, and the other thing. And I said, look, you know, I'm here to help you. And if you really want, if you don't want to write a book, God bless and and best to you and your family. But if you want to write a book, I've done this before. It's not my first rodeo. I'll send you my book so you can get a look at it what, what my book looks like. And um, if you really want to do it, we can do it. And they was like, keep talking. So um, the way it stood out, I mean, this is probably in, in late fall, early winter uh, 2017. We would talk every Sunday morning from 11 till 1230. But we didn't talk about baseball. We talked about football. And football is Parker's favorite sport. You know, he really? always won. He always, and if you, you read Cobra, you'll, you'll see how much he loved football. And um, we would just talk about the NFL. We talk about the Bengals and a little bit of the Steelers and whatnot. And it would basically be my Sunday foot football Sunday pregame show was talking football <laughs> with Dave Parker. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and we did that from probably December until the Super Bowl. And because uh, on a Sunday, he'll sit there in, in his easy chair from 1 o'clock till 1030 at night watching the games. <laughs> and he'll have friends over, and there's food going around, and it's always football Sunday. is a very special day at the Parker household. So – um Once football season ended, we kept talking, and we were done talking about football, and he was basically like, all right, you want to write something? We'll do one article. We'll do one article, and we'll see how it goes. And he said, what do you want to write about? I said, what do you want want to write about? I said, I want to write about the politics of right field in the wake of the Clemente tragedy. He's like, I know all about that. So we started talking about all of the moving parts of who was going to replace, you know, the departed, um, Roberto in right field for the pirates in 73. And it's in, it's a story involving Milt May involving Sangin involving the, the rookie Richie Zisk, Gene Clines, and, and numerous other, other minor leaguers who, who never quite made it. But, um, it was a, it was an article that we ended up, uh, Getting it published in uh, sporting news to large acclaim, and Parker started receiving all these accolades from friends and family, former teammates. Everybody loved the article, and it was it was called "Brother, Brother, Brother." And um, when we were done with that, about a day or two after it was published, she said to me, "All right, fine, let's write a book." <laughs> so that's kind of how how that began.
0: You uh, cemented the deal then with just uh, showing them your work and how how it was to work with you and the great piece that you put out there. That's a very yeah. cool. Very cool story. So Parker ended up being the right fielder, but was he the right fielder in '73? Is he the?
1: Well, no. What happened? The, the, the story, if you can find it online, is pretty compelling. But you know, not to uh, not to spoiler alert. He got sent down, and what happened was. Um, he got sent down and he and he went to play in um charleston in in west virginia so he, he while he was there there was a revolving door in right field Sangin started the season there he was hitting well but he, he wanted to get back behind the plate and um and the pirates ended up putting richie zisk in right field he started doing very well and then they moved him around with gene clines gene clines was playing exceptionally well and um and he had been a, a 300 hitter the first couple of years of his career. So there were expectations that Gene Climes was going to be an exceptional player. And then um, what happened was he hurt his knee and Parker was called up in um, in August. So he played um, he played sparingly in center field and right field. And uh, they still played Richie Zist there. But then Parker had a hot September. So the Pirates really had had no idea what to do um about right field so it became a little bit of a uh, quarterback controversy there <laughs>
0: well, good problem to have when you have too many good players you know yeah <laughs> other than yeah. the way it's been with the pirates uh lately that's for sure <laughs> uh,
1: but the, the, the funny thing that a lot of people don't remember and in april of 1974 around this time dave parker was named the starting first baseman for the pirates mm. and he actually started in 1974. He started the first five games at first base. And um, they played the St. Louis Cardinals and the Montreal Expos. And what's interesting and fascinating about Dave Parker, the first baseman for the Pirates, is that in those five games, neither team, neither the, the Expos nor the Cardinals stole a single base. Now, if you remember your, your baseball history in 1974, who is that? That's Willie Davis. That's Larry Lentz. That's Bake McBride's rookie season. It's also Lou Brock, who stole 118 bases that year. And he didn't st- steal a single base while Parker was playing first.
0: Jeez. <laughs> yeah, that's quite and, a testament.
1: And we're, we're, the, the biggest crazy thing was there was a um, a newspaper strike. So in Pittsburgh, there's really not a whole lot of, of you know, archives on Dave Parker, the first baseman, and how that went down. And ultimately, Danny Murta moved Parker back to the outfield. To make room for the uh, dot, uh, Bob Robertson, who was feeling a little better, who had been hurt in '73 and '74, but I think what happened was um, Parker's arm was so strong that Murtaugh looked at him and basically said, "We have uh, the first baseman with the best arm in baseball." And then he and Joe Brown, the, the general manager, was like, "There's a reason first basemen don't have an arm like Parker." So that's when they realize he's an outfielder. He's not a first baseman.
0: Yeah, that that arm was. I mean, one of the he had many great attributes, but the the vision that comes to my mind, was, I think it was like the '79 All Star game, where he uh, had that throw from right field yep. at the plate to to Gary Carter, and I forget who he put out, but it was it was like right on the dime. to – you know, they, they, I think uh, Garagiola was calling the game. He gave most of the credit to, to Carter for blocking the plate. But I mean, the, the ball never hit the ground. It, it was oh, right there, probably wow. six feet off the ground. It was an amazing throw.
1: And what we talk about in the book is that the runner was Brian Downing. And, okay. Uh, and Parker was said something basically since Downing was a catcher himself, old, old Downing should have known better. You know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, he, he he has a lot of funny remarks like that in the book.
0: Yeah, he he was uh pretty incredible, that's for sure. So okay, so he ends up getting the right field job, and at some point in time, Stargrill comes out of the outfield, goes goes to first base. You know, solidifies that for for a while. Uh, but you know, quite a a three four uh, in the batting lineup for the Pirates for for the next five six years at least uh, with those yeah. two.
1: There there was there's actually a story that goes to that as well. Uh, it was the spring of 1975. And Danny Murtaugh and Joe Brown were going to give Parker 500 at-bats. No matter what he was doing, he was getting his 500 at-bats. And they were going to stick him in the outfield. They were trying to figure out what to do. Al Oliver at this point had sworn off first base. He didn't want to play first base anymore. He was an established veteran, and he wanted to just be in center field, and that's where his spot was. So there's an inner squad game, and Danny Murtaugh sticks Parker in center field. Doc Ellis is on the mound, and Doc Ellis, colorful character, everybody knows his story, and and Al Oliver, very straight-laced gentleman, but Al Oliver and Doc Ellis had this warm relationship. They were there was a brotherhood between them, and um, and Doc always stuck up for for Al, for Scoop, always stuck up for him. So when he doesn't see Scoop in center field, and he at the end of the game, you know he goes out. From the mound and walks toward the outfield. While everybody's going in for lunch, he's walking toward the outfield. And now Parker and Doc had also had a very loving relationship. Doc was something of a mentor, as you'll, you'll read in the book. He was a, quite a mentor to, to Parker, but he goes out there and he's like, What are you doing in center field? And Parker says, Danny wants me in center. He's like, well, That's not your position. He's like, Well, take it up with Danny. And he's like, If you're playing in center field, I ain't pitching. And Parker was like, get the, you know, out of my face. How, you know, I've, been, I've worked too hard to get to this point for you to act like that. Don't be ridiculous. And then, you know, Doc kind of pushed him and nudged him and said like, who, who do you think you're talking to? And then the Cobra just planted Doc into the ground <laughs> and Doc looked up at, at, at Parker and said, you hit me, you die. And, and Parker kind of let him go, but Doc was, was still pretty sore about it. And, uh, Later that afternoon at lunch, um, Parker's eating and he looks out and he sees down on another field that uh, Doc and is just like being very very vocal and animated and Willie's just standing there like this and, <laughs> and Doc saying this and that and the other thing, yada yada yada. One day later, Stargell calls a press conference and announces that he's going to be playing first base. <laughs> Wow, and and after the, uh, the conference, he he nudges Parker and pulls him aside and says, "That was for you."
0: <laughs> wow, that's an amazing story. I, d- I never heard that one. That's that's yeah. good. Wow, and it's probably about time for Willie. He was getting a little, little older at that time too, a little larger, and he'd been playing earlier in his career. I think so.
1: Yeah, it was like that, and and his knees were creaking a little bit from playing uh, playing five years on the uh, on the artificial surface, but. You know, if you look at the numbers um, and even the the uh, the sabermetric numbers for defense, Stargell was one of the better outfielders in in the game for the time that he was out there. He was he uh, he put up some very respectable numbers and he wasn't he wasn't a liability by any stretch of the imagination.
0: No, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, you know, especially I'm. I'm picturing you know 1979 Willie Stargell, and I I can't picture (laughs) that. that Yeah, yeah, I can't picture that man being in the outfield and and center field at all or left field. So, great story. Now, I guess uh, I've been neglectful. I have not let you uh, say the name of your books. Why don't you go ahead and say the name of your book and where people can get get their hands on it?
1: Oh, it's it's called Cobra: A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood. By Dave Parker and Dave Jordan, and it's a uh, release from the University of Nebraska Press. You can pick it up in about half the uh, Barnes and Nobles that are out there, or or Amazon, or the uh, the Nebraska Press uh, website. But uh, but it's readily available.
0: Okay, and and folks, if you're driving in the car or at the gym, and don't have a pencil, we will uh, put those in the show notes as we always do of this podcast. You can uh, get a link to get right to Dave's book on Dave Parker. Dave, there's a little bit of controversy to uh, Dave Parker throughout his career. He, you know, there's some things that uh, were the ugly side of, of baseball at the time, and mm. that affected him. Maybe you could talk on those points a little bit.
1: Well, I mean, it, it was a it was a crazy time, and part of the culture was people would go out and and sometimes they would have a couple drinks, and then sometimes they would do some cocaine, and and Parker was. know he had stayed away from narcotics for a a good part of his early career and he ran into some issues down in venezuela in 76 and just he was a little bit not so much homesick and whatnot but he had had suffered from a couple of losses personal losses um his teammate bob moose had been uh, killed in a car accident uh in the summer in the in the uh postseason 1976 and then um his beloved manager, Danny Murtaugh, had had died of a heart attack. He, he had stepped down by that point, but, you know, it was, he was still very special to Parker. He loved Dave Parker. And a lot of people don't realize how much Danny Murtaugh loved Dave Parker. And I'll give you an example. 1974, Parker was hurt maybe three or four times during the year. And Rich Zisk had a fantastic season, batted 290, 295, drove in 100 runs, you know, batted you know close to 300 against right-handed pitching, and yet, in, during the 1974 NLCS, Danny Murtaugh employed the Platoon Advantage and started Parker in two of the four games over Richie Ziss. Hmm. Um, and that really told me how much um, Danny Murtaugh was invested in uh, the success of Dave Parker. So his passing, his untimely and, and his untimely death, um, really shook Parker uh, to the core. He, you know, he he had dealt with loss in his life, and and it really, he he, he wasn't great with it. So yeah, he was at a party, a fancy, uh, you know, apartment complex, um, a lot of the rich people, and then the hoity-toity of uh, of Venezuela was there, and someone offered him some cocaine, and he's like, you know, whatever, and and that's kind of where it began, and um, and it was very much a social thing, and. You know, but the thing about Parker that I've always discovered about him is his strength and his intelligence. And you see some other ball players who got hooked on drugs, who got hooked on drugs. He, never, he was never hooked. He was he was a the uh, recreational user, sometimes some days more than others. But he was a recreational user. And then one day he decided, I'm done. And he didn't go to rehab. He didn't go to any any 12 step programs. You know, he's still the guy that can walk into a bar now and and, and have a cocktail and not not get the shakes or anything like that. Um, but back in 1982, he decided, you know, I'm done with this. I'm growing up. Or his line is like, you know, I I didn't have a problem with drugs. I just grew up.
0: Hmm. Wow, could be a lesson for a lot of us and uh, some of our our bad habits that we need to, to get away from. So that's a that's a, a very addictive one. So kudos to him for that. Yeah. So, okay. So he, now, did, did you? I'm sure you had to talk quite a bit in your book about uh, the 79. 79- uh, team, the, the family. We are family was the big song by Sister Sledge. Uh yep. the team really adopted that song. They I can remember going to games as a kid that, that year they had you know the family over top of the dugout that the Pirates sat in and, and Three Rivers. And uh they were a family. And they, they, they were just a, a lovable bunch of guys, especially for for Pirates fans. And uh you know Dave Parker was right there in the mix of, of guys that uh you know Pirates fans just loved. You know, we love Star Joe, we love Parker. Uh, you know, we love the pitching staff, uh, you know, and, uh, how, how was that locker room really? Were they really a family like, well, the-
1: well, here's the thing. And I, and I kind of figured this out. The family aspect began in the late sixties when the pirates moved to a facility in Bradenton, Florida, called pirate city. And this facility housed basically dormitories in addition to three or four, uh, practice fields. And it was one part baseball academy, one part three star Holiday Inn. And if you weren't married, you were staying at the facility for all of spring training. And, and they were very nice. And then the thing about the book, just to you know get off for a second, is that Parker went to the Pirates and and essentially said, "Give this guy whatever he needs. Open the Rolodex. I want him talking to everyone." And the Pirates were fantastic. Not only did they you know, open the, um, all the contacts and all of his teammates. I spoke to maybe 75 players, coaches, coaches, managers, agents. Um, and they also gave me a tour of pirate city. So I got wow. to really go through the, 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 entire facility and, um, and have an idea of how these players got together. So Willie Stargell would be eating, uh, in 1970 or even Clemente would be eating lunch with, A guy in a ball Hmm. um so it was really like that and they all got together they ate together they slept together they they went out to the same bars so the aspect of family begins in the late 60s in late 69 or i guess spring training 68 69 rather than 77 78 so it, it was an aura that was around this organization for many years before the 79 season
0: well, wow. and it was a not just the the major league level, you're saying all the way down through the farm system from spring training. Wow. That's,
1: indeed. Indeed. That's, and one of the things when you write a book about about athletes and 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 ball players, you find like if you run into somebody like George Brett, George Brett has a million memories. So he's not gonna remember something that, that happened on June thirteenth, nineteen seventy-five. But if you have conversations with guys who had a cup of coffee, guys who didn't even make the majors? Who whose career ended in double A? They'll remember that time they played an exhibition game against Hank Aaron. So they've told that story, you know, ten thousand times. You know, Dave Parker has hundred thousand memories. Some some guy who didn't get out of A ball might have five, but those five are are just you know right on his brain at all times, and he's able to talk about them and 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 whatnot. So, getting in touch with a twelve to twenty of those minor league players also enhanced um the narrative of, of cobra's book
0: hmm. now how did he end up getting the nickname cobra because i i can remember as a kid it was one of the favorite things when he would uh, during home games he would get up the uh the swami song for the india yeah. would, i love the swami it, song india. it would just play and you you knew that dave parker was stepping in that batter's box and yeah. something good was about to happen how, how did yeah. he get that nickname
1: well here's what happened in nineteen, in late May of nineteen seventy-five, um, a former uh, heavyweight boxer, Ezra Charles, had passed away, and Ezra Charles was known as the Cincinnati Cobra. And um, you know, media circles back then, you know, Cincinnati Cobra, Cincinnati Dave Parker, Cincinnati Cobra. Bob Prince, who loved giving players nicknames, as everybody knows, um, he decided that Dave Parker was he was the Cincinnati Cobra. And the Pirates' uh, trainer, uh, Tony Barrow, he uh, he was also a big uh, boxing fan, and he decided, yeah, here's the Cincinnati Cobra, and then Cincinnati Cobra two weeks later just became the Cobra. <laughs> wow, that's, that's that's the story.
0: Yeah, you bring back fond memories of listening to the Bob Prince and you know Landon for Terry and and all the great Pirates announcers they had over, especially in that era. I, I listened to them on the radio almost every every night in the summertime. That was my nighttime ritual. My mom was, hey, "Get the bed, turn off the lights," and I that, that clock radio where you could set the the timer on it, and it'd always be on the, the Pirates game. You know <laughs> when they were on.
1: I, I was right there with you of Bob Murphy and the Mets. Yeah. And, and- I guess all at that time it was Bob Murphy, Lindsay Nelson and Ralph kind they would switch both television and radio. And, you know, Bob Murphy put me to sleep every night. It was wonderful.
0: <laughs> I, I shared that story a few years ago with one of my kids and they're like, well, that, why didn't you just put it on TV? I'm like, for one, we didn't have cable TV back then, <laughs> and two, you know, they weren't on they weren't on TV all the time. It was you might have like Monday night baseball or maybe a Saturday game. You know, but you got very little. Did you get to see you know, near Pennsylvania, we got to see very few games on TV. Mm-hmm. You get, go see more at the ballparks than you could on TV. But, there, uh, maybe,
1: maybe there was a Monday game or no Tuesday game, the Wednesday game, no Wednesday game. Then it was Friday, Saturday, maybe the Sunday game always a Sunday game, but, but for the most part, you know, not every baseball game was on television and here's the interesting thing about Cobra and the book, it begins, you know, we talk a lot about the party atmosphere and the family and, and good times and going to restaurants and going to bars and going to clubs and these guys hanging out like buddies and whatnot. As the book, as Parker grows older and he evolves, baseball evolves. And free, and it, we talk about uh, the infancy of free agency and we talk about baseball as a business. And one of the the lines we use in the book is that Cobra is about a game, is about a million-dollar talent just before baseball became a billion-dollar game. And we talk a lot about that and how, well, you know, to your point about not the, the games weren't always on because you know, teams inex- inexplicably believe that if the games were always on, nobody would go to the ballpark but they didn't realize if you have the games on every night, you're going to just crush it with advertising. And they didn't really recognize that until 1983, when you started to see cable stations picking up rights for baseball games. And one of the soft themes of the end of the book is how broadcasting saved baseball. And we talk a lot about that.
0: Yeah. I think uh, broadcasting saved many a sport. You know, we've, I've talked about it on other podcasts about, you know, how it saved football. Definitely. The NFL wouldn't be the the behemoth it is today without the giant uh, television contracts and things like that. And baseball, you're right. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of not, maybe not as popular. Football's probably overtaken as the most popular sport in yep. the United States, but, you know, it's definitely still a relevant part because it's on TV every night during the summer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and that's one of the things we talk about at the end. And I'm not going to, you know, kind of uh, ruin the uh, the plot line, but I will say that at the end of the book, something happens to Parker on the same day that Major League Baseball signs a billion dollar contract with CBS, and then after that, nothing's the same.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, there's there's our teaser, everybody. Dave, let's mm-hmm. give them the, the name of the book once again and where they can get sure. it.
1: It's uh, Cobra. A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood by Dave Parker and Dave Jordan. And you can find it at Barnes & Noble or your nearby bookstore. You can order it. And you can also order it through Amazon or the uh, Nebraska Press uh, website.
0: Okay. And I I have one last question for you. Okay. As a lifelong baseball fan who definitely watched Dave Parker in the era, what, what is your favorite Dave Parker moment of you as a fan?
1: I would have to say It's when he hits the home run in the 89 ALCS and Kelly Gruber on the Blue Jays was giving him junk in the papers and whatnot and talking about Parker. And then after he hit, as he's hitting the home run, he does this, this jog around the bases. He used to call the thing. So he does the thing and he's going around the bases and he just passes Gruber and just gives him a cocky nod and just keeps on going. And that's the Cobra, and he's just, <laughs> you know, elder stage Cobra. Nevertheless, he's just fantastic,
0: and, and he's probably pushing forty years old in, in that series too. You know, he's he's Indeed. not a player at that point in time. Indeed, yeah, yeah, amazing. He's
1: just, he was super cool, and one of the things I was nervous about with the book was just, you know, God, this guy has this amazing uh, rep, and I knew that there was a baseline of coolness that you know I had to make sure that that we. That, that he helped, lived up to that and boy did he live up to it and and the book is just I, I still love to read it and I I, I feel weird because I, I hear from other writers and they're nervous and I don't know if it's good enough and this and that. and I don't know if I'm just and, and they have imposter, you know syndrome or whatever. and I just felt through this thing. It was so easy. We would talk, I would talk to his teammates. I got all the information. We did a ton of uh, archive search uh, searches on newspaper.com. Newspapers.com. We did a lot of homework. And I just felt down the line this is going to be a great book. And I I, I had supreme confidence, much like the Cobra had supreme confidence at the plate in a right field, that uh that we were gonna have a winner on our hands.
0: Well, when you got uh, great subject matter like you did for that book, it's it's hard to, to go wrong on it. And then especially him him helping you and the pirates organization helping you and all the the modern technologies and the internet and newspapers.coms of the world. It's a a great thing. So uh, very, very looking forward to to getting my hands on a copy of this book and and reading it. And I'm sure the listeners are too. And uh, we thank you, Dave, for, for joining us today to talk about this great book and this great player from baseball history, Dave Parker. So thank you, sir.
1: Darren, thanks for having me on. It was a blast.